0: Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast show, a podcast that helps foster respect through inclusion, service, and equity. This is episode 16, Breaking Through Social Divides Through Personal Narrative and Understanding the Cult of Culture with Sherry Foos, marriage and family therapist and the founder of The Narrative Method and Stacey Hegarty, Vice President of ENI. Welcome to the Envision Rise podcast. I'm Stacy Haggerty, Vice President of Equity and Inclusion for Envision Rise. Our guest, the first guest of 2022, is Sherry Foos. Sherry is a marriage and family therapist and the creator of the Narrative Method. Welcome, Sherry. Thanks for joining us today. We're glad to be here. Thanks. Well, let's start with the easy stuff. Introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Well, I'm Sherry Foos and I have been a marriage and family therapist for 20 years, I guess. And about 10 years ago, I went back and I did another master's in a field called narrative medicine, which was conceived at Columbia University as a way to teach empathy to doctors through the process of reading literature and identifying with characters. So the program inspired me so much in many, many ways, but particularly because it's really steeped in social justice. And it really talks about the very core questions. Who is the right? speak for another. Who has the right to tell your story? If I tell you my story, can you put it in your book? All of the profoundly subtle but impactful ways that we treat each other with language, with body language, facial expressions, and with regard. So I created the narrative method as a way to bring together people from all over to break through those divides, simply by sharing the stories of their lives and we do this in both writing groups and conversation groups and it turns out that the simplest thing to do which we were hardwired to do and need to do in order to thrive is so powerful even something as simple as eye contact there's been so much research done With What's the difference in a patient's response, both emotionally and physically, when a doctor makes eye contact with them? Shockingly, you get better. Shockingly, you follow the protocols. So in the same sense, if somebody's listening to your story, really trying to hear it the way you feel it, from your perspective, that feeling is so deeply satisfying and it becomes a mutual bond. And the more I feel satisfied that you're, hearing me, the more I want to hear about you. And so my dream is a contagion of connection. I never said that before, but.
0: So there are a couple of things that have come to mind. So contagion of connection, as we are here in the time of COVID, is a very interesting use of that word and one that has become so fraught with negative connotations to it. But I want to go back to the example you used of eye contact. As we're sitting here thousands of miles apart having this conversation, and for most of our listeners, they're just hearing us, but we are also on video. And as I'm staring at the little green light on my camera trying to recreate eye contact, what is our life in remote world doing to us As it pertains to our connections to others and even the simple things as eye contact or being able to shake somebody's hand or touch a shoulder something like that, how is that changing our empathy for one another?
1: I think there's an ironic response to that, which is that when I first had to start doing my workshops online, I was a little trepidatious. I mean, what would we lose? But what shocked me was that what we lose is by not having contact. You know, what do you lose if you lose your vision? Can you still connect with people? Some of the things that ironically are upsides from connecting with people in this way would have been unpredictable, at least by me. For example, when do you get to really look this closely at someone and actually stare at them while they're speaking. There is element of intimacy that is different, of course, and nothing is the same as seeing your whole body language. Nothing is the same as smelling and feeling someone's energy, but it doesn't have to be the same to make an impact. And while we are speaking, we still see each other's eyes and we still see responses in real time that is what we need. We were hardwired. And, and if you think of your iPhone, just hanging around unplugged, it's not going to work for too long. Same with people, we need to be hooked up. And it turns out that obviously, there are better ways, there are more profound ways. But what's most important is that there are connections happening.
0: It's really amazing how much we have been able to learn about one another in this way. i Think of my friends who are school teachers who are mainly back in the classroom now, but who spent most of last academic year connecting with their students in this manner. And being invited into someone's home in that way tells you so much about them good, bad, indifferent. It's also causing a lot of stress for people who are concerned about what their background might be revealing about their home life, about themselves, about their families to people that they don't know very well. And there's an equity issue there that we've talked about in terms of K through 12 and even college students. But I think there's also an equity piece that might be missing in the discussion about a professional environment like you and I are in right now and how that may be impacted. The way that we view one another can change so quickly just by these glimpses.
1: We make decisions instantaneously. It's the way we survive. We have to assess if this person walking towards us is going to hit us. And we create an entire opinion from one picture about whether we like that person, whether we would like that movie, whether we should go to that event, on and on and on. So the problem isn't the tendency to have knee-jerk reactions. It's understanding what to do with what is perceived. So although it is an equalizer in some extent to have people coming to us from home, for instance, the shock of seeing newscasters with their whole machinery behind them and the city behind them, now they're in like a crappy little corner of their kitchen. And I just thought that was so wonderful because it was an equalizer. It did bring people down to size. If you are in a situation at home where you can't recreate a comfortable or a neat background, you can always blur the background. And so these are just trade-offs, whether this would be manifested in, I don't feel comfortable because I don't have the right clothes for, you know, what the kids are wearing at school or my home office doesn't make me look very important, whatever those things are.
0: I think maybe the details are shifted, but the issues haven't changed. Let's talk about how the narrative method applies to social justice work. I think that's at the heart of what you're doing. And I'd like to hear more about your goals, some of your objectives, and how our listeners can start to apply some of these concepts in the real world. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, here's the thing. I've got a background in psychology and comedy, interestingly, could be all the same. But what I think happens is that when we are using language, we have the capacity to show our true selves and our vulnerability. It doesn't mean that you have to reveal things you don't feel comfortable revealing. But when you tell your truth, as you know it now, you open the door for somebody to understand you when you kind of put it in a package so that the background looks impressive and this and that you're now you're communicating a package there is something that cuts through all of the games and all of the fear of being known because people are afraid of being known because when they revealed themselves in the past they were hurt or they were laughed at or they were ostracized so what's most important is to allow people to feel comfortable enough to be themselves. What sets aside the narrative method from a psychological program or from other kinds of programs that are designed to really help you maximize your internal experience and functionality is that even though, of course, there are many influences from psychology and social justice and other areas, at the end of the day, we're looking at the impact of what we call the cult of culture, the constant onslaught and noise that we all know too well, which teaches us from the time we're young children that we're not good enough, that we're defective. Who's pretty enough? And if you think the influencer or the model, the one they're shooting up their lips and they're getting, you know, their butts and the blah, blah blah, and they may look really good, they don't feel good enough either, because this cult of culture is relentless. It's been coming at us, you know, when our defenses are down, when we don't have time to deconstruct it. It's not enough to know that they're selling us soap by telling us that, you know, we smell bad. It's so omnipresent from every direction, from, you know, the false information to negative ideas about what it means to be unique. So in this work, at its core, what we're trying to do is separate ourselves, who we really are, from the things that have happened to us in our lives and we have tools to self soothe because all of us have those speed of light flashes of bad feelings or negative thought loops that say like You're an you know but of course you think it's me you know it's me because this happened to me or i was weakened by that once you realize from being in a group of people who are saying the same thing wait a minute this is not about my personal defectiveness I am acting out a symptom of a defective culture. And just that one realization makes us realize it's not us, it's the culture. I belong, I am not defective. And as a place to begin, it's a reality check. And that's also, I think, where comedy comes in. Whereas, you know, I mean, we look at these profound issues and we comment them from so many angles, but at some point it is, sort of absurd to think that these tiny little inhuman systems are hurting our feelings when it's a bot. So there's a lot to construct. And the best weapon we have is self-awareness to realize that there's a difference between what we're feeling and where it's emanating from and self-soothing tools. So a very easy, quick self-soothing tool is to take your dominant hand and put it on your heart. And when you connect with your heart this way, you can feel your heart beating. It's as though your dominant hand is the part of you that's an adult, that's in control, that can say, look, I don't really know how I got through all these obstacles in life, but I did, and I'm in control, I'm here. And inside, you can feel the soothing from that part that knows what it's doing. And so that's a very easy way that you can do in public or on your own to just take a breath, step back, and reconnect with yourself. It's okay. Not because I know how anything's going to work out, but because I can trust that I'll figure it out.
0: So let's expand this out. When we are talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, many times it's in context of the workplace. And a lot of times we use or hear the phrase, bringing your full self to work, bringing your true self to work. And then when you think about the trauma in people's lives and the way that the cult of culture is impacting all of us every minute of every day on how we feel about ourselves, what can leaders within organizations start doing to help employees feel more present and feel as though they belong just as they are? I think a lot of leaders are afraid to do that. And they say, we want you to bring your full selves to work. And someone with a lot of trauma in their past may very well just be internally rolling their eyes and thinking, no, you really don't want that.
1: (laughs) One of the problems is that, you know, we want everything to be okay. We want everything to be better. Change does not and cannot happen like that. Things are always incremental. And trusting that that is the way it has to be will give you a little bit of comfort in tolerating waiting for things. That said, sure, bring your whole self. But don't tell people that it's not too vulnerable to go tell your boss, you know, I'm really sad because I hate my life and this job sucks. I get paid crappy money. It's I'm never going to know. There's a difference between being open and honest and real and Revealing things that aren't safe to reveal. And even when you're in the safest environment with people that you trust deeply, there's always an importance to just standing back and at least thinking about the words and the tone that you're choosing. So whereas when we can be real and bring our strengths and our real ideas to the workplace, and try and build on those relationships and appreciate the power of professional relationships. That's one thing. But to try and make it simple, it's silly. I work with companies all the time. I see people go from just not even feeling comfortable saying hello to someone they pass all the time because they've never been introduced to them to, wow, yeah, how did it work out with your dog? So that there is an important middle ground between making meaning with the people that we work with for eight or more hours a day, every day in our lives, and conflating that with each relationship should be an everything relationship. We have to compartmentalize or we wouldn't get things done.
0: All right. So I like this concept of meaning making. And I'd like you to talk about that a little further because I think sometimes... It is an all or nothing mindset that it's either I can either bring every single thing of myself to work or my workplace is not a good one. There is middle ground there. So how do you recommend that people start finding the meaning in their relationships at work?
1: One thing that we have, we created these card decks called TNM DIY human, because you don't need a license to use your humanity. So I'll show you what they look like. These cards were designed to give you an opportunity to create your own groups. And all of these cards have prompts that refer to one of our 12 core concepts. So it's giving you a little bit of information to think about and then a prompt to take that idea somewhere else. When you offer this as an experience to do with a group of people and you're sharing stories evoked by these prompts... You're getting to know things you just never would have known. And it's fascinating. And you start seeing the similarities in the human condition, in what we struggle with. Everything's relative, but there's no new issue. Even people who have done things that are heinous that we could never relate to. We can still relate to emotions. And so when you listen to someone's story, try and put yourself aside so that you can be present. So if you use these cards or come to our free Zoom-ins, we have conversation ones and writing ones and we're going to be offering a 12 week program starting next week that you do the writing on your own and then we come together periodically it's beautiful i think it really starts with asking yourself questions that you're curious about questions that matter deeply for instance you know when, when i talk about separating yourself from the things that have happened to you Ask yourself, and if you're okay with writing, then just answer in written form. What is something that someone in particular said to me or a message I got from the cult of culture that hurt my confidence about myself? You know, that you weren't pretty enough, smart enough, tall enough, white enough, cool enough, powerful enough, your parents are poor, whatever those things are. And the reason it's valuable to isolate these ideas and write them down is because they are so familiar, we don't see them. It's like if you go into someone's house and for the first time, you think like, "What do they have that thing on the middle of the table for?" It's probably because they don't see it anymore. So in that same way, I'm asking us all to look at some of the things that we do or think automatically, not with a mind toward blaming not blaming ourselves because that's not a productive thought, not blaming the person who told us that because that was so mean, but with curiosity. So when you ask with curiosity, you get information. When you ask with blame, you just get the loop. Oh, she shouldn't have done that because... I. But what's really fascinating is to engage your curiosity about, wow, first of all, you survived, whoever you are listening to this right here now, you survived some things that nobody else could have. Only you went through these things because of the, you know, exquisite circumstances of your life. And to not give yourself credit for finding a way, even if that way now needs to be updated, is to deny the fact that life is hard, you didn't get the, you know, the workbook and it's just an ongoing process. And as much as I believe that our tools and concepts are really powerful and helpful and easy to get started with, there's not one way in the big world for everybody to deal with manifesting their lives. So if there are tools here that work for you, please use them and pass them on. And if it doesn't resonate, never go to a place where you think, What's wrong with me? Just consider. Curiously, hmm, I wonder why that doesn't speak to me.
0: How do you recommend people get curious, not only with themselves, but with one another without crossing that line? That I think that's a hard line for people to see sometimes that you're getting curious about someone you work closely with or someone who is in your life. And what it starts feeling like to that person is that they're maybe being interrogated or you're being overly nosy, overly familiar. Are there ways that you recommend for people to get a little curious without stepping over that line?
1: I think if you stay in a state of awe, I love awe on its own, but we also use it to symbolize awareness, wonder, and empathy. So let's say my friend just told me that her dog died. What's in it for her if I say, oh, was the dog writhing? You know, were you crying hysterically? I mean, there's a difference between our own curiosity for our sake and being aligned with someone so that you can ask them something that seems meaningful. And I think it's really a matter of testing the waters. It's partly tone and it's partly content. So one thing that would be obvious in tone is if I were to say to you, why'd you wear that today? Okay, like if you don't already hate me, you know, you might feel self-conscious. Well, who are you and all that kind of stuff. But if I ask you, I'm just curious, why did you choose what you're wearing today? It's One is an invitation and the other comes with my own editorial. So if I am genuinely curious about you, it should be as an invitation for you to share what you want to share now, if we're working together and I want to know, you know, when can I expect this particular project on my desk, that's something else. But even so, there's a way to say things that keeps you attuned with the other person's feelings. And I think nothing is off limits if you remain aware and respectful and you can always say I don't want to overstep my bounds, but I was curious about your heritage. And I noticed that you practiced this or didn't do this. And I was wondering if you'd be willing to share something about that. Some people might feel like, thank you, thank you for noticing me. And other people might be offended. We have to be willing to risk that minor offense just by asking the question because we can always apologize. And I think one thing that, reaching provides for us. That kind of, I'm going to show you that I care, both by telling you that I'm interested in this thing, but also by acknowledging, I don't expect you to provide me with information that you don't want to. And please enlighten me so that I know where your boundary is. But a lot of times, if we say something that may wind up hurting someone's feelings, and we, we never could have guessed that that would have been the case, or maybe we thought it was trepidatious, But there is an opportunity in a genuine apology in which you're not defending yourself. You're just humble. You really want to know more about why that was offensive or hurtful to the person. That act can bring you closer than you ever would have been before. Maybe they'll say to you, you know, the reason I was so sensitive about that, even though it doesn't seem possible now in my adult circumstance, is because I was always told I was stupid. And when you use that word, it just pushes that button. The other person can say, oh, my God, I never would have thought of you as that. Thank you for sharing that. And maybe it'll evoke something vulnerable in me that I really want to share because I want to put it on the table. Now we have a bond. So I think we're living in a time of fear of ridiculous cancelization. (laughs) And we have to be willing to go a little bit beyond what the fear says. Because at the end of the day, if we're not feeling known, We're not feeling seen. We are alone and isolated. How can you love me if you don't know me? And so we have to keep in mind all of those perceived risks. Some may be real, some not. And still take a step towards connecting with the other person.
0: These are steps that require such courage from individuals to just be able to put aside our own discomfort or fear or whatever it is that's holding us back and take that courageous step to open up the lines of communication. Now, I know your website has a lot of different offerings out there and you mentioned the writing and your upcoming 12-week course. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Where can our listeners find more information? Because I think this is a great first step to start asking questions about yourself, who you are and where your opportunities may lie.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, just the one thing I would also offer to people is that no one's ever tried to figure out your life before. You're the only one who's expert enough to do it. Just know that it's not easy for anybody. We all just have ongoing complexity. And just knowing that everyone else's life is complex helps. So you can find us at thenarrativemethod.org. We have an events page where you can sign up to free Zoom-ins every week, and they're just incredible because you meet people from all over who you never would have had the chance to meet, who you connect with in a meaningful way over talking about something that's important for you. And then you can also get the cards. We have other products that you can see online. We are really growing a lot right now, so we're going to be adding more programs, both those weekly Zoom-ins. But also, we're starting a 12-week writing program that will be ongoing in which every day there are prompts based on the core concept of that particular week that take you to a deep place. And I'm just going to give you an example of a card here, okay? So just so you have a sense, okay, so you say stop, and I'll just start dropping them and you say stop. Stop. Okay. (laughs) Okay, this is the one that was marked blue. Just kidding. All right. So, this core concept is sounds and signals. And sounds and signals refers to all communication, not just words, because words are just 7% of what we communicate body language, facial expressions, tone. If I say, I love you, we get a different idea. So, first, there's an idea about sounds and signals that says sometimes your best response may be to step back and listen. Here's the prompt. When did you make the genius decision to keep your mouth shut? Now, everybody's got a story. And what's important to remember is it's not that it's the best example. It doesn't have to be the greatest story. But what becomes interesting over time, if you practice the narrative method a lot, is interesting that that's the story I thought of. However you tell your story, you are infusing it without trying with who you are, people are getting a sense of you. And that feels great. It feels great mutually. So it's just a way to give you a sense that there's a spirit of fun and laughing at our human foibles at the same time that we are appreciating the wonder and the endless beauty of nature and science and, you know, all of the promising things in
0: the world. Comedy and self-exploration. I don't know that there's a better combination. (laughs) <laughs> well sherry thank you so much for joining us today i've enjoyed this i'm going to check out that 12-week program because that sounds right up my alley i love it and especially as we're all here with our new year's resolutions or at least new year's thoughts of perhaps making some changes and improvements i think it's a really great opportunity for people to check out thank you so much and to our listeners please check out the narrative method and sherry moose thanks sherry have a great day thanks so much stacy Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, diversity and inclusion should not be treated as a one-off initiative. And so with your help, we can get this message to more people. Subscribe, rate, and review the show and be a part of making a difference because it starts with you.